It's your favorite pair of shoes. Oh, I wanna know all the things that make you sing. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Thinking Pilates podcast. This is episode 25, and I'm here with my co host, Deborah Colway. Hi, Deborah. Hi there, Chantiel. <laughs> I really had a huge weekend at Pilates anytime. I did six different films. I did um, a gentry piece, like I taught a little, you know, just very small one of her things, and then I did three different what we call tutorials in the sense that they're not really a class. It's Ugh. more like an idea that I have that I want to put across since I'm teaching you know, for me, it's all about like making the connections, right? So I did a, you know, just for example, I won't tell you the whole thing, but like one of them I did where I wanted to show the importance or the power or whatever of the side bend, but the side hip line and how it shows up in places where you wouldn't necessarily think it. And so I started uh, with the with the barrel, the ladder barrel, and just doing a very, very simple feet on the bottom, kind of side bending back and forth, which most people think of as, you know, obliques, the waist, the whole thing, mm-hmm. and then just progress it into lots of different things where you really need that hip line. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. And, you know, just people don't think like that all the time. And so I did three different <clears throat> ones of those, one for the side, one which I called front support, which actually has to do with extension, mm-hmm. and then one... Um, where I started on foot corrector and sort of showed how, in essence, that's like a mini lunge and then showed how the lunge pattern shows up in several exercises on the chair and then some of the splits on the reformer. So it was, um, it was fun. And Good. then I did a big, long Cadillac session and then I did like a personal workout, which I thought of you actually. I, I'm not kidding. I thought of your... Um, your 30 day thing. And I, and I was very exposed. Like I felt incredibly vulnerable, but happy to do it. Um, because my, my impulse was again, to encourage people as you and I have talked about many times to use their time with their body, um, you know, to get to know themselves and to actually, over and over get to know yourself and to, mm-hmm. you know, the body as the mirror for the consciousness and all of that, although I didn't use those words mm-hmm. particularly, but also I talked about, you know, this concept of restorative doesn't have to be um, easy or rela- like necessarily limp, passive, you know, yeah. restorative doesn't have to be passive, yeah. mm-hmm. but what makes something restorative is that you you figure out what you need mm-hmm. <laughs> and give it right. to yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so I did a, a mat workout, but I also showed some of the little thingies that I do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of improvised, although I used the form too. And that was, um, that was really something to just kind of know that I was being watched by God knows how many people and talking it through a little bit, but not that much. And at the end, I, said something I had no idea what I said but I got up and talked about it a little bit did you know did you were you teaching a group of people like in that kind of 
format, or were you doing it and teaching it yourself? I was just doing it myself, uh-huh. by myself, uh-huh. on film. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So, so that actually, you know, and I was trying to just, I was trying to make the point that what made it restorative was that it was self-guided improv in the moment. So, like, moment to moment, I could be deciding what I needed or, you know what, I don't really want to do the next exercise in the form right now because my quad's going to cramp or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I'm going to do this instead. Oh, I love it. I love it. I can't wait to watch it. It it does make me think about the um the thirty day course for students too because the very very beginning stuff that you oh, sent me sure. and I kind of I I dropped the ball and yeah yeah high. oh god no problem no but, uh, just the the point is only that when I did the thirty day course this time for students. Um, uh, self-practice at home is challenging for me and I, it's easy, I think, to come up with all kinds of excuses like, oh, the kids are little and, you know, the this and that and we work from home, we own our own businesses and we have a, you know, aging parent who lives with us and there's just not enough time and it's just no space, blah, 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 blah. And I just thought, you know, I'm just going to prove to myself that no excuse is worth it really. There's no excuse. And, and movement is movement. And I can move anytime, anywhere, in any uh-huh, way, wearing uh-huh. anything with any exactly. amount of children crawling over me. And, and I, I think the thing that motivates me the most for self-practice in the essence of self-care is this, what you're talking about, this idea of improvisation and what do I need in the moment? And now what do I need? And now where am I going now based on what I need? And, oh, that's interesting. Look what that, what's coming up and how that's feeling. Like, oh, maybe I'll do this now. Wasn't expecting right. that. Uh, for me, that's, I mean, that's the only way I'll do practice at home, <laughs> honestly. Because uh, otherwise, I I just feel like I can never meet the expectation of doing a formal practice at home for whatever well I did see the one with the Christmas tree and the high heel shoes I did watch that yeah my daughter like clumping out and that was like priceless because there was a when my daughter was two I remember just like needing to get out of the house one day and just like grabbing her it was kind of late in the evening but the mall was still open Mm -hmm. and I took her over to I guess it was I think it was still May DNS then it might not have even been Macy's and we went into the shoe section, and she literally made a beeline for the racks of Clarence shoes. She chose a pair of completely high-heeled, hot pink, <laughs> like literally grabbed them off the thing, swapped her little two-year-old butt on the floor, took off her sneakers, mm-hmm. put the shoes on, and stood up and looked at me and said, Mom, look at these. <laughs> so there's got to be like a thing with toddler girls and high heels yeah I don't know it's funny it was cute that was a lot of fun anyway so all it right, actually so let's, let's going. yeah well I think we're going um, um, I think we're already yeah. going it, when, what oh, I yeah. want to say just real quick is that your description of your filming um, at Pilates Anytime and the class in particular and then just something that you said makes me think, 
it makes me wonder where the idea of missed opportunities came up. That that was your okay. idea for our talk. And mm-hmm. it made me think, ah, yes, how easy it would be to have not done that or to said no or to made some excuse for not doing it or being uncomfortable enough that that made you say that you didn't want to do it. Um, oh, I see. But you did do it. So, um, but it could have been a missed opportunity. And, and I... So maybe that's just a jumping off place, um, and I'm going to let you take it away and kind of frame the idea, and then we'll see where that leads us. And if it takes us into this other piece of discernment, um, which is what I kind of brought to the table, then we'll just, that's fine. And if not, then that's fine, too. Okay, well, originally, the missed opportunity uh, thought came from more from watching my student teachers Mm -hmm. and not so much uh, my own uh, situation. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, it's so easy, it's so much easier to be on the outside and watch somebody else teach and notice all the things that could have just happened. You know, it's of course much more difficult to be the person in the moment, you know, you, you, get going on with what you're getting going on. And then, of course, it's even more challenging to be teaching in the moment, having somebody watch you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's a, I don't even remember exactly, you know, missed opportunities almost now almost, almost feels sad to me or somehow negative, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It was some, it kind of grew out of observing the young teachers, and then watching their mind work as I'm watching them teach and watching their gaze and watching their, you can see the wheels turning, you can see, and you can see the moments when they're, when they're stopping themselves from saying something or they see something and they're hesitating and they so much want to get in there and be with the person, but they just either don't feel like they can or they don't know what to say or they're Mm -hmm. overwhelmed or whatever it is. And um, so a lot of times what we coach, we coach them a little, you know, so what are you seeing? What would you, what are you thinking? What, how, where's your mind right now? Yeah, yeah. What would you like for this person? You know, what would you, you know, if you weren't holding yourself back, what would you like to say to them right now? Mm-hmm. And so they're inevitably right on, you know? Yes. It's just that they don't have the confidence for whatever reason to get it out. Mm-hmm. And then what I find is that they, that people will, will catch on to a very good, what I call theme or approach or, you know, nugget for the lesson. Mm-hmm. And they'll put the energy out to, to be, uh, you know, teaching the thought or the concept that they're working with, or even the technique mm-hmm. and the, and their, and their client or their student is, just getting on board with them. Right. And then, you know, the next thing you know, from my perspective, I see the same exact thing showing up in their student, but they don't see it. They don't realize that this beautiful thing that they just started to unfold with their person is happening again. They, they get confused by, you know, whether it's that they just, they don't understand the body well enough yet or... Um, or they're just struggling with the choreography, or whatever it is, they get clouded. You know. You mean like just 
You mean like distracted from? Well, I think they get distracted. They get distracted from what I would call their theme uh -huh. because they don't realize that it's, it's still, you know, Susie Smith. It's still Susie Smith's body. Susie Smith is still doing the same habit in this next exercise or series that she just did that you were so brilliantly working with, but somehow you don't realize that it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so you jump, you jump ship and start talking about a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. You could have just kept on it. It was right there in front of you all the time. Mm -hmm. And the lesson would have had, you know, then, it, then the lesson can have more flow. You're not working so hard. You're not putting out too much information. Um, are we, am I being clear? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, so, that's the, so that's the missed opportunities. Like, they get going farther into the lesson, and, and they start teaching the exercises differently. It's like, oh, now we're doing this exercise, now we're doing this exercise, instead of realizing, oh, um, it's the same skill, it's the same concept. I could still be working with the same thing, and the person that they're teaching I have a feeling like I'm not being very clear. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of an example. No, I think I, I think um, I get you. Uh, so let me let me reflect back to you. What I feel like is my experience with this is that um, watching a, a newer teacher teach, it's as if you can almost sense the urgency in them to get it all in, to do it right, to cover all the bases to work within the framework, to follow the order, to like meet all of these expectations that have either been put on them or they've set for themselves. And at some point, intuition uh, sets in or they, they, they follow the, what they see, they trust what they see, they start to follow an idea. And yet the prevailing motivation perhaps at this stage is that they they um, are either distracted by the the other expectations that they have uh, of the session of themselves, or um, are overwhelmed by it, and and you can see them kind of rush on to something else rather than mm -hmm. being present with the idea. And my experience of that personally is that well, maybe that's not enough. Maybe that's not right. Maybe that's not helpful. Maybe they're not getting it. Maybe I'm. You know, maybe that's too simple. Maybe it, it's not okay to just stay with this idea because I need to make sure I am doing all of these other things. Does that seem like what yeah. you're talking about? Yes. It, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with confidence. And the reason that um, I thought your idea of discernment actually was pertinent without knowing exactly what you were talking about in your text was mm -hmm. that it is a kind of discernment to um, ferret out with like the the most rich bit to keep pointing the person's mind and body where you want them to go. Mm -hmm. So that not only is the teacher distracted, but then they become the they distract their student. So mm -hmm. then their student also thinks that there's a whole lot of stuff I have to pay attention to. Absolutely, all these balls in the air. Yeah, and they you know, instead of no, no, we we can be discerning and we can uh, 
we can um, we can relax and enjoy the richness of the that bit that we just work out together. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, like uh, I don't know. I'm just I keep picturing short spine <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in my mind and how um, there's so many components to short spine and it can look so different on different people. You can have your you can have your verbiage that you always say, and then, obviously, as with anything, you say something and they do something, and it doesn't always match up. Yeah. But then you start to make a connection, and maybe you're talking about, maybe you're talking about how they finally started to get this ease of rolling the pelvis up over the shoulders, right? Mm-hmm. Because they are finally connected into their feet, or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then. And it's beautiful, and they like, and they're like, "Whoa, I never felt it like that before." Mm-hmm. Or, "Oh, I can really feel my spine bending better." Or, "Oh, I'm not as tense in my shoulders," or whatever they then experience. Right. And they and they do right. I'm going to go off on a slight tangent. This, this person that we're teaching always, if they're verbal, gives us the feedback that we need to keep going if we're willing to listen. And so that's all we need to move on to the next thing. We actually can just take what they said and run with it right. instead of, <clears throat> thank you, that was cool, now what are we doing? You know. Yes. So let's say it's the short spine and then you're going to move into the coordination and the stomach massage and all these things. And to just really, you know, so then they get off the equipment and they move on to stomach massage, right? Mm-hmm. And there's your short spine right there. Yeah. But the but the student teacher starts teaching it from a different vantage point. Yes. Yes. And yes. then we're off and we're off on another you know Yeah, we're like on to the fine, next the next thing on the, the checklist. Thing, it, 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 it's fine and there is uh, you know, many ways you can go, but when you're the one sitting on the outside watching it, you're like, Oh, you missed that opportunity. It was right there. You had it. You didn't have to change a thing. Mm-hmm. You just kept right with it. And, and you know, that's what I mean by missed opportunity. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, well, two two things come to mind. One is, um, so one is, how do we uh, encourage, help, guide, coach our teachers um, to recognize the opportunity and then... Mm-hmm support them in following or developing the opportunity while staying committed to whatever other priorities they might have. Um, because I do think, you know, at, at the beginning stages of teaching, it is important, as you, I think, would probably agree, that they're, you know, they're they're practicing and massaging and, and coaxing this kind of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, we want them to just steep themselves in the words and the flow and the rhythm and the, the like instructing, right? We want them to be exercising that within the framework to keep it simple, to keep it consistent, right? So that they can find more ease, right? So that, that they feel this is like the conversation we've had before about consistency and creativity. So we want that. And yet how can we, how can we 
also encourage them or teach them or show them that that's possible. And actually, mm-hmm. it becomes so much uh, easier and more relevant and more exciting and more powerful if you have an opportunity, you make, you have an insight, the student has an insight, there's a breakthrough, there's a recognition of some new capacity, and we let that infuse everything that we do within the framework moving forward. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. I got a little lost at the end, but what I heard was how we support them in a kind of confidence and in a kind of, um, well, I'm thinking structure in terms of structuring, helping them structure the, uh, how can I say this? In the same way that when they do their observations, when they're in the, at the phase of the training where they're observing other other more senior teachers teach teach more, and then they do some practice teaching, but they're also doing a lot of observing. Mm-hmm. But there's a way to structure their observation hours so that they're not trying to watch for everything. Yes, right. And right. that will depend on right. exactly what I think you were just talking about, that they're, depending on the point that they are in the training, mm-hmm. sometimes they're, they're still at the point where they're just getting comfortable with the instruction part, mm-hmm. the order, you know, the form and all of that. And so when they do their observation, they want to be observing for that. Yes, right. Make sure that they're, you know, going right along with the teacher. And then X number of weeks later, they can move on to beginning to observe for maybe, you know, more, more of the partnering or more of the more of the richness of the description of the movement or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So that in the same way that when they approach their practice teaching, we have to remind them to be okay with being, you know, there's this concept, I know we've talked about this, that we use at TPC, working level. You know, I've heard in other environments, level of capability. Mm -hmm. All of us are always on a continuum of that, no matter Mm -hmm. what hat we're wearing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in any role that we play, we're somewhere along the continuum of a level of capability. So if I'm, and then each time I up the ante on myself, mm-hmm. I kind of go back to a more beginner capacity yeah. with harder material. Yeah, yeah. So I think to really, because I, I know for me, you know, I mean, I, let's just say, for example, when I was apprenticing with Eve Gentry, I just remember thinking, how will I ever do what she does. They're like, they're, I don't know how she manages to get what she gets out of people, you know, and then mm-hmm. when I left her and I moved back to Boulder, I, you know, I was really lost for a while. I, I didn't have any way to to practice very, with much confidence, her, her approach, because there was no one around doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, and I know now when I when I see the, the student teachers teach that there's a way in which they think they're supposed to be teaching at the level they see happening at our studio uh-huh. with the senior teachers. Even though, you know, so I know that I think that's somewhat inevitable and it's not negative. I think it's great to reach for that and to have that 
be an inspiration, but if it's not an inspiration and it's only a a distraction or a um, a downer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Know, a burden. And I think we have to, you know, find ways in, and help them structure their practice teaching the same way that we encourage them to structure their observation so that they literally are not asking themselves to teach the whole, what do you call it, enchilada. Yeah, when do. They're teaching a right. lesson. But, they, but we say, you know what? You, and somehow we have to help them discipline themselves to actually let certain things go. Yes. And that that is okay. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe the question is answered in part by, as teachers of teachers, you and I, and for the teachers uh, who are listening who are teachers alone, that it's a matter of um, asking themselves, what what can I expect of myself now, <clears throat> given where I'm at in my learning, in my experience, right? What are what are the expectations? What what skills have I developed, and what skills mm-hmm. am I going on to develop? And how can I let that be my guide, my the priority? And yet, that it's to acknowledge that it's also possible for the priority, no matter what it is to be infused with this idea of trusting what you see and trusting mm-hmm. what you know and and mm-hmm. allowing yourself to have whatever your priority is be totally infused by trusting what you see, what you see, what comes up, right? This opportunity then, that you're talking then, about. Yes, exactly. And, and, and maybe... I don't know, like maybe maybe you don't trust what you see, mm-hmm. but you have to be willing to experiment anyway. Well, and I... if you don't know, and if you feel so like um, stymied by not trusting what you see, let's just say, mm-hmm. right? Then you're kind of at your working level edge. You know, you're you're bumping up against your edge. With that person, maybe they, maybe their body's confusing you, or maybe who knows what, right? So then you have to go back a notch. You have to be willing to down the ante. Is that a phrase? I know up the ante is. <laughs> it made, to, it should be. <laughs> you have to be willing to back up a step or two and teach, not from a less valuable place, just a less. Um, complicated place so that what happens in the lesson can show you things, you see? Because your your um, your idea that you're working with which, you know, trust what you see and infuse it and all of that, yes, and I actually think that what the power of that is is if you can stay present with what then shows up. So trusting what you see is not a thing unless it gets mirrored back to you somehow. And what we're having mirrored back to us is what the person does next. Mm-hmm. So like trusting is doesn't really just exist in the air. Trusting happens in relationship. Mm-hmm. So being willing... 
or somehow giving yourself permission. Like if, if we don't give them permission, somebody has to be giving them permission. So either the program structure gives them permission or they give themselves permission or, or we do or their peers do. Maybe permission isn't the right word, but support to like be as ordinary as need be. And that's where I think, again, the discernment comes in. Not just discernment about what you're going to say or what pact you're going to take in your teaching, but discerning where you are in the moment as the teacher. Mm -hmm. What can I handle? And I think that's what you were just saying. What can I handle right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think there are a couple of threads now, but I think the question of what can I handle is about... Uh, not only presence or or maybe it's primarily presence it, our ability to be present with what's happening in front of us um, but it's about being able to set priorities be re, have realistic expectations and mm-hmm. if we it's interesting what you're talking about that trusting what you see is not something that happens in an isolated way. It's not, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in relationships. So my interpretation of that is I give myself permission within whatever my priorities are for the moment of my teaching for being in relationship with this student. What, what am I trying to get at? What am I focusing on? What skills am I developing? Um, I'm going to be willing to, discern what's going on and then I give a correction I take us in a direction I facilitate you know some kind of uh change and then as you said then then it becomes what happens after that what's the outcome and then that's how trust is developed and then then make your next move yeah right based on that so that you don't just have this runaway train plan yes right and that's ultimately the discernment so it's interesting we're talking about being present enough to see the opportunities in front of you but being clear enough also uh with your priorities and your expectations of yourself which potentially need to be adjusted in the moment right as i think you were talking about like maybe maybe we need to down the ante and step back a little bit in order to be discerning, in order to trust what we see, in order to be really present with. uh, Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Because otherwise you're stressing out. You're stressing out. Totally. Yeah. And then, you know, you shut down. And this not only happens. I just want to say though, for the record right now, that this doesn't mean, I'm not talking about total improv. I'm talking about in the context of, I'm teaching a level one reformer, and level one reformer looks like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, or I'm going to do level three math, or we're going to do a chair-pole combo today, or whatever it is. It's not like I'm walking in with no lesson plan. I know. Uh, yes, I understand that. And to me, that that is a part of what my priorities are and my expectations yeah. of myself in exactly. As, exactly. as they relate to where I am in my teaching. So my... My expectations of myself, my priorities for every teaching interaction that I have are, you know, are different than they were five and ten years ago. 
So yes, I think yes. I'm very clear about that, but thank you for, for articulating that further. For I did. I just felt the need to, because I know I can, can get a little philosophical or yeah. <laughs> you know, out there. And, yeah. and I, and I want to make sure that, that I'm clear that I, I believe that one is supported in that by the, by the method. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because there is a, a, you can, you know, we talked about this, but I mean, it, it is what gives us the, the jumping off place. It gives us the mirror to reflect back. Mm-hmm. And it gives us the, um, you know, the principles to work with. Yeah. Well, it's like the boat, it, it's the boat on the ocean. It's the, it's the craft that we have to get into in order to sail the seas, you know, like yeah. you, you have to get in the boat. You have to have a priority, a plan. You have to be clear about your expectations so you can even sail away into mm-hmm. the experience. And then you navigate whatever is happening on the ocean, right? Right. Waves and storms and sea yeah. monsters and Yeah, and else. then, like, if you realize that when that gust of wind came the first time, and it was really great. I have no idea what I'm talking about here with sailing. <laughs> came and so then, and you, and you did, the, you pulled on the thing to the right, you know, and the boat went that way. And then, you know, ten minutes later, the gust of wind comes again, and you think, "Oh, I wonder what I should do." Right. You know, instead of, "Oh, well." I'm going to pull the thing to the right because that worked last time. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting. It's really, really such an interesting conversation. And when I when I was thinking about discernment, uh, I think I was kind of going in a different direction. But it's, I think maybe what we're talking about is where discernment starts, right? Like, um, not only discerning the opportunity, but also discerning for ourselves based on our current level of knowledge, what could potentially be happening or affecting movement, you know, and then we, we just, we follow that. And then, and then, as you say, depending on what the next, the outcome is, we make our next decision, our next choice. To me, that's discernment, and I think what happens is that teachers are not um, being supported in being discerning uh, enough, um, and so their confidence is not um, great enough, potentially, to trust that they can discern for themselves. And what I see uh, in the larger scheme of things is that we get... Um, teachers who um, stay safe in, like, let's just say the rhetoric of Pilates, right? The the rote, repeated m- kind of monologue of Pilates of what to do or how it should be done or how one should talk about it, instead of hearing an idea, hearing a cue, hearing a, you know... Um, hearing somebody talk about the way an exercise should be executed and asking themselves what 
uh, how much of that feels uh, appropriate, adequate, um, true for me? What do I believe and what do I not believe? And of course, in the beginning, it's we don't know anything. So we trust everything, essentially, that we hear and we see because... I mean, I guess the expectation is that we are training with people who we trust. So, of course, we just use what's been given or handed down to us. But I think um, sometimes if we never trust ourselves enough to question what's been handed down to us, we can get in trouble in a lot of ways. So I think that's, for me, that's kind of the macro version of discernment, Um, you know, learning that skill early on, it's hard, I think, it's hard because of the expectations and the overwhelm and the pressure to do it a certain way and repeat, repeat the cues, you know, accurately and, but that at some point we have to start to go, what's that actually doing, right, Uh and is that actually the right thing period, or is that the right thing in this body? Because pretty much every cue is not going to fit everybody. Exactly so. And then you get to look again at your, to use your terminology, your priorities. And so, again, it's, it's all like how it develops over time and how we build a reservoir of confidence, how we build how we resource ourselves uh, from really more experience and just with regard to the cues, um, I'll say two things. One, you cue, it's that thing where you say something and then it's coming out of your mouth and then it's landing on somebody's body and it either looks like something you want or not and then Uh you get a chance in that moment to adjust yourself. But the other thing is, um, with regard to the priorities, I I think there is a time and place for, you know, it's been so long, but I, I know that it there was a period where it was very helpful to have the, it, you call it rhetoric, but to have the phrase, to have the yeah. kind of sing-songy thing, you know, to not have to also be deciding every moment what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. And that... Um, and that, that, so that then my priority, as I become more confident and more of a seasoned teacher, my priority will shift, to use your term, into I no longer want to just teach this person a level one reformer series. Mm-hmm. I want to, um, I want to support their uniform development. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, I, quote, trust the method. And I figure, okay, as long as I can get them through this enough times in a row and, and we don't have too many setbacks, somewhere in there I will be probably supporting their uniform development. Mm-hmm. And then later I get to the point where I can be more discerning and actually sort of see through the layers and get them a little better. And and then my style of teaching will change somewhat. It can become more rich. I can 
move around the studio differently, I can actually feel into them and know what will support their uniform development in a larger sense Mm -hmm. than just, well, if you do the right exercises, you'll you'll become it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, I, I totally am with you in terms of not just being a parrot and saying things by rote, but I think that takes a while too. I think it's, I really believe now after all these years that there is a place for that too. Totally. That at a certain point, you know, because I went through it. I mean, I went through, you know, you hear this thing come out of your mouth and you're like, whoa, do I really want to say that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, And it's scary because maybe you've been saying it for 20 years. Yes. Yes. And you're like, okay, no, I don't want to say that, but what am I going to base the thing, you know, how do I base my new things I'm going to say? What do I base that on? And, mm-hmm. you know, for me, of course, not of course, for me, um, it was a process of learning the body better. Yes. You know, literally like learning. So again, not separating choreography from human movement, which, you know, you think, well, duh, we wouldn't do that, but we do in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And actually... Um, like what do I, what does this body need to do on a regular basis so that it doesn't keep going down this bad lane or, you know, just to keep it, keep it healthy, keep it as widely user-friendly as possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think you're right. I mean, in the beginning, when we learn anything, one the, you know, one of the initial stages is mimicry. And we have to have yeah. something to lean on. We do. Exactly. We, we have to have something to lean on because we don't have any foundation for ourselves. And, of course, that's appropriate, um, you know, in all the ways that we've touched on that in other conversations, tangentially and directly, uh, 100%. And I think, I think the point for me, kind of coming around to what you just said, which is, it does take time, and there's no ex- there's no expectation that all of this comes together instantaneously. Uh, there are levels of development, obviously, as we move toward. Ultimately, if we stay in it and at it long enough, we're moving toward a, a sense of mastery, which is not an end point. It's just a point, right? And then mm-hmm. when we enter mastery, it has all the other levels, and you kind of touched on that earlier. Um. And I think for me, one of my priorities with my teachers is to always ask them, why would you do it that way? It's not, it's not, okay, I've taught you this way. This is not the way I've taught you. You're now doing it a different way. Why would you teach it anyway? You know, understanding, getting, not that I expect them to understand it fully, but I want them to become accustomed to and comfortable with asking the question, why? Why is this happening? Why, if I say this thing, does this body do this thing? Why Why am I teaching it? What? What's the basis for teaching it this way? And it, it's, a, it's about curiosity, right? Really being curious and 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 wanting to know the why and the more that we get used to asking well why is it this way why why would i teach it that way versus that way why would it teach it 
this way for one person and that way for the other person. I think for me, if I go back to the original question, um, it's how do I support my teachers in building confidence in becoming discerning so that they can take advantage of the opportunities that we're talking about. And I think that, I think that's, that's a primary tool is just getting them comfortable one with being uncomfortable, right? Because <laughs> it's uncomfortable to not know. It's uncomfortable to, to feel like you don't have all the answers at your fingertips, but to be curious and ask questions anyway. And that ultimately that perpetuates a sense of, I don't have to be right all the time. I just have to be curious. And I, I think that that's such a, that's so much um, a stronger foundation for confidence than confidence being built on being right or not. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I guess, you know, I really love this topic. I love this conversation. And I think if I were to, if I were listening and I were to ask myself, well, well what do I do how do I become more discerning? How do I potentially become aware of the opportunities? The answer I might give is to just be curious, right? Be present and be curious and be willing to take the leap. And if you see a connection, follow it and see what happens. And if it's... And try to, yes, and try to... And to realize that when you, what you just said, and then if you take the leap or a baby step or whatever it is, don't get distracted. Wait, wait for it. See what yes. happens. Yes, see what happens. Ask yourself, okay, that was actually the feedback. Now what do I want to do next? Yeah, yeah. And if it's working, if it's working, if it's leading you in a direction that feels uh, in alignment, right, with where you're trying to go, keep following it, right? Follow it within the framework, right? That it, it actually, I said before, I think that if you follow the opportunity, there's a nugget there of something, right, that you've gleaned, the wind hits the sail, you make a correction, it works, the wind hits again, it's like, oh, make the same correction, but you do that within the framework, right? You do it, you're still in your boat. So I think, you know, for teachers who are newer, it's, it's like, it becomes easier. It just, you said relax. It helped, it lets you relax, right? You just don't, don't try to check more off your checklist. It's like, oh, you got, you've got something. You've caught, you've caught something, See yes, where it takes you. So yes, so so stick with it. Yeah, stick with it and explore it. You were curious. You got something. Don't rush away. Yeah, stick with it and explore it and um and then see how it feels. Yeah, see how it feels and, and then and then see the results you're getting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't so be great. shy about um asking questions of your your mentors and your Call it, you know, your peers. Yes. Don't, don't think you have to do it all in a vacuum. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Right. Well, it's so good, Deborah. Maybe this is a good place to to wrap it up. I think so. I think so. We one time put out the question to the the listeners uh, if they uh, wanted. You know, we we could take suggestions, right? Or we could get get experiences. I know you did the one the one time you had Stacy on on with you, and she shared things. And mm-hmm. it just reminds me of that a little, in the sense that I'm sure there are many people who are listening to this who could who would love to share this kind of experience. What worked for them? Yeah. What they found supportive. Um, you know. It's ongoing. Yeah. Well, we'll put it out there. We'll put it out there okay. for sure. When we when I post the podcast, we'll invite people okay. to comment and to potentially come on and speak with us. Um, yeah. It's been great, Deborah, and it's uh, it's kind of funny to me. We haven't spoken in a while, but it feels like such a rich conversation like it just doesn't even matter that we haven't spoken in a while so no because I think for you and and me our concerns are are consistent mm-hmm. and uh you know we have <laughs> we, we 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 tend to you know we're chewing on the same on the same things all the time and yeah. uh, you know I, I think we care we care about the same a lot of the same things yeah. so when we get together it, it works out yeah Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, yeah, thank you everybody for listening. Yes, have a a good time. Take care. Get your favorite pair of shoes. Oh, I want to know all the things.